You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Exodus chapter 7 uh, is where we're looking today. We wrapped up chapter 6 last week, and uh, we were seeing specifically as Moses continues to wrestle with the idea that he's supposed to go to Pharaoh and obey God's commands to continue appealing to Pharaoh to release his people, that Moses once again has those excuses pop up, that he's not an effective speaker, that he can't communicate clearly uh, to get Pharaoh to do what God is asking to be done. And so we talked about how when excuses swell in our minds and difficulty springs up in our path, we must remember that our call is to follow the Lord in obedience by trusting him to overcome our limitations and to overwhelm our opposition as the great I am. Meaning that because God is who he is and how he's revealed himself, we trust that he overcomes any opposition that's in his way. We trust that he overcomes our uh, ineffectiveness even, like our limitations, that he works in and through our limitations to accomplish his purposes. And so this ties in with what we've been talking about the last several weeks in regards to Moses and Pharaoh and the people of Israel and and how it applies to us as we carry out God's commands for us. And so just kind of tagging on to what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, we said that we need to remember that God remains in control, that God remains committed to his people, that God remains compassionate towards his people. And as we saw last week, it's our job to follow him. And we need to remember that our limitations are factored into his plans. He's already accounted for the things that we can't do. And he plans to do those in and through us by overcoming those limitations. And so application-wise last week, we said sometimes serving the Lord can be discouraging. And there will come times when you are tempted to stop following him. But in those times, you need to preach to yourself and find others to preach to you as well. The simple message that he is the I am that he overcomes those struggles and difficulties that we experience in our daily life. Today, we turn our attention to Exodus chapter 7. And I I shared with you last week that this is where the story really turns, where Moses feels empowered now to go before Pharaoh. And we see a more confident Moses, and we see God really begin to work and act and move to change the circumstances, right? To change the situation, whereas it has looked like the enemy has been winning, now we start to see God's people gaining victory. So we turn our attention to Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Our summary sentence for today, we are called to trust and obey God by remembering he expects faithfulness rather than effectiveness from our efforts, and by remembering he controls our circumstances, even miraculously at times, to accomplish his great purposes. We are called to trust and obey God by remembering he expects faithfulness rather than effectiveness from our efforts, and by remembering he controls our circumstances, even miraculously at times, 
to accomplish his great purposes. For our kids, God wants his children to obey him and trust him by remembering he controls everything. We're called to trust him, to obey him in everything because he controls everything. He expects us to be faithful, to to not feel this pressure to be effective, but to be faithful to what he's called us to. To remember that he controls our circumstances and can miraculously change those circumstances when he chooses to for his purposes. Last week we said this story changes here. This early part of chapter 7 that before we get back into the throne room where Moses is dialoguing with Pharaoh. Before we get there, this section that we're looking at today I think is God's response to what we saw last week in verse 12 of chapter 6 and then towards the end of chapter 6 as well. So if we, flat, if we flip back to chapter 6, verse 12, But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Verse 13, But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He gives them this charge in response to the the hesitations. We said that the the story then kind of deviates and goes into this genealogy of Moses and Aaron, which shows them to be uh, real people, real men that God uses. And then it comes back to the story at the end of chapter 6, where it says, On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? This is that charge that I think God gives to Moses. uh, The response to his hesitation to get him moving once again into steps of obedience. Now, the goal of the looming events that we know, right? Like we know that the, the plagues are about to start to unfold here. The goal of the events that are about to happen is for everyone into the story to see that Yahweh is the only God. That the God of the Old Testament, that the God that we worship in the New Testament, he is the only God to be worshiped. He's the only God to be followed. He's the only God to be obeyed. Egypt needs to know this and Israel needs to know this. And by virtue of them coming to know it, we can know it today too. We can know who he is and we can know why we should be following him. We need to know the truth, walk in this truth that's going to come to us in the coming weeks as we look at the plagues. The purpose of the coming plagues is so the people will know. It's a reminder to us as well that God brings little judgments on this earth to point to bigger judgments that are coming, right? We know that there's the the big global flood in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis that uh, Peter even refers back to and says, hey, we've seen God come and interact in this world in a judgmental way where he brings his wrath upon sin. How could we doubt that Jesus is not going to return and do the same one day and and really bring all of this to a climactic end? These little judgments point us to bigger judgments. We should be warned today that greater judgment is to come. We should pay attention. We see in verse uh, 5 of chapter 7 here, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them, Israel and Egypt both coming to know that he is the only God. But if you fast forward to chapter 12, verse 12, we also see that these plagues are designed to not only show who God is, but to show who the Egyptian gods are not. To bring judgment on the Egyptian gods, to show their ineffectiveness in providing 
all the things that we talk about we get from God, right? Think about the things that we've highlighted that God gives to us, that gives us um, just the encouragement we need to step out of here today and go about this week. The, the control, the comfort, the compassion, right? That, that he stays committed to his people. Those are things that we highlight as things that are, are invaluable to us. You can't put a price tag on the God of the universe communicating to his people that if you're in relationship with me, I'm committed to you. I'm compassionate to you. I'm in covenant with you. I'm controlling everything for your good. Like you can't put a price tag on that. But before God reveals himself in that way, the Egyptians would have claimed that their gods provided that, right? As they looked around and saw the provision of the Nile River, they would attribute that to the God of the Nile River providing for them and the crops and and all the sustaining their life. They would have given that credit to other gods. And so in chapter 12, verse 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt, and that night I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. What's the judgment there? That the God of the Egyptians can't stop him. That that the Egyptians can appeal all they want to to their gods that they worship. But the God of of Israel, Yahweh, cannot be stopped. He cannot be hindered. That's the lesson that we learn today by looking back into this story. We're also going to see here in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, how God is sovereign over three specific body parts that are mentioned. Moses' lips, Pharaoh's hearts, or Pharaoh's heart, and then God's own mighty hands are mentioned here. Not literal hands, but figuratively, he talks about extending his hand in judgment. So God's sovereignty extending over Moses and his, his ineffective lips. Over Pharaoh's hard heart, God extends his mighty hand. I think it's also worth mentioning here that we're going to see God's missional approach of making himself known, and it's accomplished through 80-plus-year-olds, right? Uh, So often, I think, in our society, the older people get, um, our culture begins to think the less effective they can be, particularly in the things that they've been doing for years, right? Right? Like in the athletic realm, as, a, as, a, and as an athlete ages, you start to think in terms of who do I get to replace him because he can't keep doing this forever, right? Like as he continues to get older, someone else is going to have to step in and do his job because by age, he makes himself ineffective. This is a great reminder to us that, that God doesn't work that way in, in the life of the believer, right? In his kingdom, the age that we, we garner makes us even more valuable, I think, to the kingdom, Right? You see in the New Testament where those who are older and more mature are meant to stay active in the local church, continuing to pour into the younger generation. We don't, we don't put Christians out to pasture in their age. No, we, we rely upon them and their wisdom. So for those of you that in, in this congregation that maybe are considering yourself uh, upper in age as you continue to, to grow old, remember that you're not being phased out in God's kingdom. Just like Moses and Aaron, who in their 80s accomplished great purposes for God, you still have great purposes to accomplish too. I'd encourage you to see that as we look at the text today. Let's jump in with number one in our uh, notes. Remember that God assumes responsibility. So we've been talking about things for us to remember when tough times come, we're tempted to despair, and maybe even tempted to stop following faithfully what God has called us to do. Moses was certainly wrestling with this, right? So these things that we look at today go right on top of the list that we've already mentioned, that God remains in control. He remains committed. He remains compassionate. Our job is to follow him. We're to remember that our limitations are factored in. 
this charge that he now gives to Moses starts with remembering that God assumes responsibility. God assumes responsibility. Number one, God calls us to obey with his authority. Look what God responds to Moses with. He says, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Remember, Moses is wrestling with the idea, why would Pharaoh listen to me? God responds and says, you'll be like God to him. And what's interesting is that in the original Hebrew, the word like's not even found there. But what's really communicated by God is that you will be God to him. Now, what does he mean by that? Is, is all of a sudden Moses, God incarnate, is he now uh, Jesus of the Old Testament? No. I think what he's communicating here is that the role that Moses will play, particularly because Yahweh is not visible, right? He's speaking audibly to Moses, but uh, he's not going to speak audibly to Pharaoh. He's going to speak through Moses' lips. And so, uh, in a way, Moses will function like God to Pharaoh, and, and God is giving Moses a prophet who will speak even on his behalf. And so, Pharaoh would have had people that spoke for, for him. And remember, Pharaoh thinks that he's divine. He thinks he's the Egyptian God incarnate. And so God has established Moses in a similar way with, with the authority that comes directly from him. You will be like God to Pharaoh when you go before him. What comes with that is like an added authority piece. Meaning, hey, if, if Pharaoh rejects you, Moses, it's okay because he's rejecting me, not rejecting you. He's rejecting God and will pay for it. Let me give you an example. There's, uh, I have people at Trinity that work on my administrative team, right? And so I delegate things to them. Ultimately, the teachers answer to me that work for me. But underneath me, this administrative staff is supposed to carry the same authority, right? They're, they're part of my administrative team. So Virtually, if, if one of those individuals is asking a teacher to do something, it should be carried out with the same weight as if I had asked for it. Now, it doesn't always work that way. And sometimes I'll tell an one of my administrative staff, hey, this needs to happen. And there'll be some hesitation that says, hey, I don't think they're going to listen to me if I tell them that. My response is, well, they should because you're on my administrative staff. If, if, if I say it and if you say it, it's as though I've said it, right? Um, but sometimes I'll give them the added weight to say, hey, when you communicate to that teacher or if you're sending that email, whatever it may be, I said, you can go ahead and tag it that you've talked to me and this is me saying this. Why do I, why do, I do that? Because I want to alleviate for my administrative staff member any fear that they're not going to be heard, right? Like go ahead and attach it that, that I have said this and you're simply the spokesperson for me. And oftentimes that administrative staff will then say, hey, great, that, that's, that's exactly what I needed. I needed to be able to say that you're the one saying this and not just me. I think Moses finds some empowerment here because God says, you will be like God to him. I'm going to be working through you. The authority that I have comes to you now. And so if he rejects you, he's rejecting me. Moses becomes this mediator, God's representative, and Moses will be equipped to do mighty works before Pharaoh. He'll play this physical role of God with Pharaoh to bring about change in these circumstances. It reminds us that God chooses to carry out his divine work through human instruments, and he gives us a similar type of authority, right? You think back in Matthew 28, when God is commissioning his disciples, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth, have, on heaven and earth has been given to him, 
And then he commissions his disciples to go make more disciples. And what does he say? Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? The comfort that the disciples feel as Jesus gets ready to ascend into heaven, this, this monumental task of we're supposed to go and make disciples and build churches and grow your kingdom, like that seems overwhelming. Jesus says, I go with you, and I have all authority on heaven and earth with me. So if, if I go with you, that same authority goes with you. And you see the disciples respond almost in a similar way as Moses does, right? Like they become empowered to then, through the book of Acts, begin to plant churches and see God's people grow in areas where they were not previously. Moses has a similar response to this charge that God gives, that he has God's authority to go with him. God's assuming responsibility here. It's not going to fall on Moses. It's going to fall on God. Number two, God calls us to be faithful, not effective. He calls us to be faithful, not effective. Doesn't matter whether Moses is effective in speaking or not. Pharaoh isn't going to listen anyways, right? Like that's the point that that God keeps trying to get across to Moses. Hey, it's not about Pharaoh listening to you. I'm telling you, he's not going to listen to you. So I didn't pick you because I thought you were an effective speaker. Right? Like I didn't pick you because I thought you would do a better job than somebody else with the words that you have or the, the charisma that you possess. He says, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you anyways. I'm asking you to be faithful right here, not effective. It's true for us as well. Like whatever God's given us to do, whatever jobs and roles he's called us to, the effectiveness will only come if God chooses to, to produce that fruit. What he really expects from us is faithfulness. We're going to nominate elder or nominate deacons later, but even when you look at the deacon uh, elder qualifications in Scripture, it's all about faithfulness, right? It's not like, hey, find for, the, find for you those people that are super effective at doing things. No, it's find people who are faithful in the things that they do. People that are faithful, that, that's counter, counter culture to what we see today, right? Um, I remember even when we were starting to uh, think about church planting, um, and I went to a church planting conference and uh, explored different uh, church planting networks. At that time, there was this huge push for a type of church planter, right? Like you had to fit like this, this, um, this description that wasn't rooted in scripture, it was rooted in culture, right? Like when I went to this church planning conference, I kind of looked around and I was like, I don't dress like these people. I don't have the same hobbies as a lot of these people. I don't look like these people, talk like these people. Like, can I be effective in doing this, right? Like, like am, I, am I missing something here? Like, because everybody else's church planting looks a certain way and I don't fit that mold, God doesn't call us to be effective in the ways that culture says you're going to be effective. God calls us to be faithful. And that's the call that he's giving to Moses, to be faithful in the things that he's given to him. The spiritual results are always beyond human control, right? We control our faithfulness to God. Like we, we pursue faithfulness. We can't always produce the the results and the effectiveness, right? One of the first questions you get asked as a pastor, particularly a church planning pastor, uh, those questions always focus on how big is your church? Like how many people come to your church? How many people have joined since you started? Like, like how many there are on Sunday mornings? That's one of the first questions that gets asked when I talk with people about our church. Nobody ever asks how faithful our church is or how faithful the, the elders are within the church. 
It's always how big is your church? How effective have you been in your community? God gives a responsibility in Scripture for getting the message right. There's not a burden of responsibility on me to get your hearts right. This is, I don't, I don't, I don't assume that responsibility. And, and I think I've, I've understood that early in our church planning process to where um, when I get up here on Sunday morning, I feel like I have a responsibility to be faithful in what I communicate to you. I'm supposed to communicate truth to you as best I can, rooted in God's word. I'm supposed to be faithful. How God chooses to use that message in your heart, how the Holy Spirit convicts, how you respond to that, that's out of my control. I think Paul echoes that mindset in 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Man, I don't worry about Jesus coming back and him being either pleased or dissatisfied with how big our church is. Man, what keeps me up and what gets me up early pursuing faithfulness is Jesus coming back and saying, was I faithful? Was I faithful to shepherd this church? Was I faithful? That's your responsibility as well in your life. Are you being faithful? Think about even the churches in Revelation, right? The the letters that are written there uh, to those seven churches. I mean, none of them talk about how big the church is, right? Every one of the, every one of the letters that comes, The commendation and the the condemnation is related to faithfulness. Have they been faithful to love? Have they been faithful to serve? Have they been faithful doctrinally? Have they deviated from any of that? Have they they compromised for the sake of culture, right? You could even like dig in there a little bit and say like, maybe they've compromised with culture in order to grow their church. Those are the things that get addressed. It's faithfulness that we're called to. And that's what God reminds Moses here. Hey, it's not about Pharaoh listening to you. It's not about you being effective in any of this. It's about you being faithful. You do everything that I've commanded you to do. Trust me with the results. Remember, God assumes responsibility. When he calls us to be obedient to him, we simply obey. We trust him to assume responsibility for the results of it. Number two, remember God works miraculously. God works miraculously. This is important for us to keep in mind, particularly when we're plodding along in life and seeing challenges and difficulties that we face, and maybe we we're, we're, we feel like we're being rendered ineffective in changing some of that stuff. He says, uh, verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. He's going to work in miraculous ways. Number one, God controls in ways no human can. Man, we talk about how God remains in control and how God's always in control. We talk about his sovereignty regularly here at our church. 
But what I want you to see through this text is that one of the counters to our discouragement in the Christian life is remembering how in control God truly is. Right? How in control God truly is. Because he's not just a better president or a better king with the same type of control. Like God controls in ways that presidents and kings could never control. Right? Like we're talking about how God has the capacity to speak through human lips for his purposes in both special and general ways that fulfill his plan. Right? So God's telling Moses, I'm going to speak through you. Now, God speaks through individuals in scripture, and we call some of that special revelation. That's when he speaks directly through an individual who writes it down, and it's authoritative in our life. But then Jesus also talks to his disciples about how the Holy Spirit was being given to them to remind them of things they've been taught, so that when they're faced with persecution or they're put on trial and their faith is challenged, they will recall things that they've been taught to speak truth in those situations. Maybe not in a special way that gets written down and becomes authoritative for all of us, but all of us could probably at times say, man, I was in a spot, I was in a situation, having a conversation, and I began to speak in such a way where I felt like, man, I can't believe I'm remembering some of this stuff or, or where some of these thoughts are coming. I believe that's the Holy Spirit working and moving in us to empower us to speak truth when, when needed. And God says, Moses, I'm going to give you the words to say here. I'm going to speak through you. And that is something that the best president, the best head coach, the best king could never do. Right? Like it would be, it would be easy for me to delegate responsibility at school if I knew that I could speak through those people who, delegate, who I delegate to. I have to choose people that I delegate to carefully because I will not be with them. And they will potentially meet with parents or meet with students and speak in certain ways that needs to be like what I would say but I can't speak through them. And God says, I speak through you, Moses. God controls in ways that no human can. Not only does he speak through Moses' human lips, God has the capacity to control human hearts for his purposes. And he does it without violating their responsibility and their actions, right? There's, There's some crazy tension here. And you continue to read through Exodus and you even jump ahead into Romans and you see this tension where like God hardens Pharaoh's heart Which in our human minds, we say, then how can you hold Pharaoh responsible if God's making his heart hard to do these evil things? But then you also read in the Exodus account where it says that Pharaoh hardens his heart. You have both taking place and and Pharaoh's never excused for his actions as though God could be blamed for it. We may not fully understand that here on this earth. We can trust that scripture presents it this way. One commentator said, Pharaoh freely chooses to do what God had freely chosen that he would do. Like Pharaoh chooses to do what he does. And it's exactly what God chose for him to do. And Pharaoh's responsible. He's culpable for it. But God is controlling his heart the whole time. We should take comfort in that. Because it's not, Pharaoh's heart wasn't unique to God's control. God can control any human heart that, that he chooses. He does. Right? He, he, he shapes the hearts of kings. He shapes the hearts of presidents. He shapes the hearts of, uh, of lost friends and neighbors. He shapes the hearts of spouses. Right? God controls in ways that we never could control. It brings comfort to us that he can work miracles in this way. He also, number two, controls with speeds that no human can. 
not only does he control in ways that the best human leaders never could, like he's so set apart from human leadership because he controls things that human leaders can't. He controls hearts and he controls them at speeds that no human can as well. Put uh, this slide in here just so you could help see it, hopefully visually as I'm talking about it. God has the capacity to change actions in a moment's notice so that you go to bed and awake to a drastically new state. Meaning, whatever you may be dealing with today isn't necessarily what you will still be dealing with in the next moment. Like, think about the Israelites, right? The Hebrews, they have been in slavery for 400 plus years, and things never seem to be getting better. They always seem to be getting worse. And most recently, they've gotten a lot worse. Now they're having to make bricks without straw, and they're going to bed every day later than they did the night before because it's hard work, and they're not resting well, and there's no end in sight. And even Moses shows up and starts working these great plagues, and you would think like, hey, Pharaoh's going to listen this time. Pharaoh's going to listen to him, and he doesn't. He just keeps saying, no, no, no. And as a Hebrew, you're looking around saying, how much worse can it get around here? Like we've dealt with gnats and frogs and bloody water and like all kinds of things are happening and Pharaoh just keeps saying no. And then Passover night, everything changes, right? They go to bed and wake up the next day and they are walking out of Egypt. Like it's important to note what's said here uh, about what's going to happen. It says that Pharaoh's going to say, no, he's not going to listen. I'm going to harden his heart. Great acts of judgment are come, and then I'm going to bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. The idea here is that they are going to march out like an army. They're not running and escaping and fleeing. No, God has worked in such a way where he has drastically changed everything. And he's worked a miracle, and they're going to walk out, and the Egyptians are going to shower them with gifts and jewels and money. This is God working a miracle. They, the, the day before, this didn't seem possible. The day before, you'd have interviewed a Hebrew and he'd have said, I don't think we're ever leaving here. I mean, what else can God do to, to change Pharaoh's heart? Like, like, I don't think we're ever leaving. And you wake up the next morning and, and, you, and your mom and your dad are like, hey, grab your stuff. Like, we're going. And it's like, what? Like, it's the middle of the day. Like, if anything, I thought we might would have to escape at nighttime and sneak out of here. No, we're going to walk out of here victorious. And God changes it quick. He works miracles and he can change in a moment's notice. He works at speeds that we can't comprehend. Think about the other things that God has done in scripture that, that were like monumental at the time. I mean, we're going to see even uh, fast forward just a little bit when they run into a dead end and the Red Sea is before them and here comes the Egyptian army. Like it looks like we're dead. And they start to say like, you should have just left us in Egypt. Like, like this, you can't fix this situation now. Like, you should have just left us there to die, not here. Then all of a sudden like, the thing just opens wide and they walk on dry land across and then boom, the entire Egyptian army is wiped out. You're looking around and you're like, wow, like that changed, that changed in a hurry. That changed, in, that changed quick. Like we looked like we were dead and defeated and all of a sudden we're winning now. You think about like uh, Naaman in the Old Testament, the general who has leprosy. He's got like a death sentence. He finally wakes up and obeys God and goes down and takes a bath and he comes out and his life's been restored. Like in a moment's notice, his whole life has been changed. Think about the early church who would have been cowering in fear, hearing about the Pharisee Saul, who was hunting you and trying to kill you. 
Like he's, he, he would have been the greatest threat to, to the growth of the church at that time. Like Saul and his people, they're coming. Like we got to hide. We got we to gotta keep our Bible studies under wraps. Like we can't let that be known. Like Saul's going to kill us. And, and he kills Stephen, right? Like he stones Stephen. And, and word would have spread like, hey, watch out. Like Saul's coming for us. And then you start to hear word that Saul's a Christian. And you're like, what? Like we don't have to hide from him. We should invite him as a guest speaker like to our church. Like you would have left one Sunday thinking, watch out for Saul this week in case he shows up. And then you could have potentially come back the next Sunday and heard like, hey, next week Saul's going to be here and he's going to be preaching to us. And you'd have been like, what? Like, how does that change so quick? It's because he works miracles. He works miraculously. He controls things in ways that, that no human can, in speeds that no human can. We need to remember that. I think, I think Moses bought into that and said, you know what? I'm hearing this charge, God. I'm going to obey you. And then lastly, number three, we remember that God is missional. We remember that God is missional. I think this helps us process our circumstances, particularly when they're not desirable, particularly when they're not what we would choose. Because number one, God's plan is more about communication than comfort. It's more about communication than comfort. What does he want to do? Verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. It's about people knowing him. It's about his glory spreading across this earth. It's not about individual Christians finding comfort every single day. There's no promise in Scripture that the Christian life will be comfortable. There's every promise about it being good. But it's not always going to be comfortable. Because he's, he's more about communicating who he is than bringing individual comfort to us right now. The comfort's to come. The rest is to come. And that's promised to us that when Jesus comes back, the whole world will know who he is. And then we can start worrying about the comfort piece and how we enjoy him and rest in him for eternity. Right now, there's a communication gap where people don't know him. And so he's still in the business of making himself known. And he does that sometimes through, through dragging Christians into, into difficult situations and leading them through the shadow of death so they can get to the other side and give him the glory for it. His plan is about communication. God's missional goal that he might be known in all the earth. That's what he tells Pharaoh in chapter 9, verse 15. Remember, we've, we've read this several times already. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut from the earth. But for this purpose I've raised you up, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. The whole timing of Exodus has been on purpose for the reason of communication, communicating to the world who he is. Number two, God's glory is seen in both his salvation and his judgment. God's glory is seen in both his wrath and his mercy. We know him as Yahweh through both of these things. Think about if we only knew Yahweh through his salvation. We didn't know him through the judgment piece. We didn't know his wrath. We just saw his, his grace and mercy. We would know him and we would know him well. But we wouldn't know him fully. Because there's a holiness piece to him. There's a wrathful piece towards sin. There's a, there's a judgment piece that comes, right? It's, it's like when maybe you've, you've been around somebody that you've known really well, and then something happens that kind of sparks them into motion, and you say, wow, I've never seen this side of you before, right? Like we, we've all had that experience before where you just say, like, I've never seen this side of you. It's like, it's a good side. I've just never seen it before. God gives us both of who he is, right? The salvation piece and the judgment piece so that we can know him from all angles. 
We can know him by experiencing his mercy and salvation. We've seen this in chapter 6. Israel's going to know him through salvation. We're seeing now in chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, Egyptians are going to know him by experiencing his wrath and judgment. Ultimately, when Philippians 2 says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, it's not because everybody gets saved, right? The picture there is that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, both in salvation and in judgment, that Jesus is Lord. We'll see him acting in both ways, right? I've shared this before um, with people. I've seen this animated cartoon before of Jesus's return. And uh, I can't find the link again because I'd love to show it to you because I think it's such a beautiful picture of this, this two-sided coin of when Jesus comes back and in this cartoon that I've watched um, that's celebrating the return of Christ, Jesus is coming and you have this picture of people running into each other where you've got believers running to him and that the joy on their faces is so inexpressible. I mean, you just can't, you can't describe like they're just running to him in the midst of like passing people who have horror on their face running from him right? The same event happening, and it's impacting people totally different. People trying to get away from him, and people can't do any, uh, any, any they want to do everything they can to get to him. That's the picture here, is that God's going to be known in both ways, both his salvation and his judgment. You can either know him through his drowning in the Red Sea, or his redemption by walking through on dry land. What's cool is that we'll see, as we get into chapter 9, that some of the Egyptians they wake up and realize, I want to experience him the way the, the, the Israelites are. And we see when they go walking out as an army, there's Egyptians that go with them. Like they process through the plagues and the judgment, and they say, you know what? Like he is the only God. We're going to follow him, not what we would be leaving behind. We remember that God assumes the responsibility. It frees us to just be obedient to him and just be faithful to him and not worry about the results. We remember that he works miracles. It keeps us, keeps us tied to him when circumstances are undesirable, knowing that, that he is faithful and that he can change things in a moment's notice for us. And we remember that he's missional, helps us to process our circumstances, that our circumstances are a tool he uses to make himself known. Our faithfulness in those circumstances make him known. Application, evaluate your heart's status today. Are you actively seeking to obey all that he's commanded or have you allowed certain aspects of your heart to become hardened due to the deceitfulness of sin? We know what Moses and Aaron's response was. God calls them to be obedient, verse 6. Moses and Aaron did so. And they did just as the Lord commanded them. But we know in Hebrews chapter 3, if we're not careful, we can be like Pharaoh. We can be in that group that hardens our hearts. We stop being obedient. We start to justify our sin. We make excuses for our choices. We don't listen to his voice. Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And we believe in eternal security here at Sovereign Hope. We believe that if you're saved, you're always saved. But we believe that if you're saved, you show yourself saved, right? Like you don't walk away from him. You don't abandon him. 
right? If somebody falls into this trap of becoming deceitfully hard to sin and walks away from the faith, man, it shows that they were never of the faith. But the warning here is for believers so that we don't do this, that we show ourselves to be true Christians, that we, we yield to, because a sign of a true Christian is one who obeys his commands, right? And so he's saying, hey, take care, brothers, Lest you fall into an evil, unbelieving heart situation, man, you exhort one another and you listen to the exhortation of those in your life. So you stay away from being deceived by sin so that you make it to the end. My challenge you today is do we listen better than Pharaoh? Man, none of us like to be told what to do. We want to control our lives and have the final say over our lives, but are we willing to obey all that God's commanded us to do? Our response should be as Moses and Aaron to do everything that the Lord commands, verse 6, to not harden our hearts like Pharaoh in Hebrews chapter 3. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We praise you and thank you for the reminders that we see once again in this passage. God, thank you that you free us from uh, any pressure to be overly effective in this world. Lord, help us to see that you've simply called us to be faithful. And Lord, we know with faithfulness often comes great effectiveness. But Lord, help us to see that we don't have to feel the pressures of of being effective, nor do we have to feel discouragement when we feel ineffective. For our parents who are laboring to teach their children and and feel like all they continue to see is a rebellious spirit, Lord, help them to see that, that they're called to be a faithful parent. They can't change the heart of their child. Lord, for spouses who may be at odds, Lord, help them to see that they are called to be faithful for workers here who are at odds with their boss and they've been praying for years for the, for the boss's heart to be changed, Lord, help them to continue to be a faithful worker, trusting that you'll change the heart. Lord, help us to see that, that so much of our life is completely out of our control. It's out of human control. Lord, help us to take comfort that you control in ways and with speeds that, that will blow our mind if we'll just submit ourselves to you. Lord, help us to remember that you are missional and to see our circumstances through that lens that you want to make yourself known and help us to be uh, the loudest speakers for you. That the way that we live our life in faithfulness will, uh, will be a, a, a sounding boom to those around us who you are. They would see your compassion and your commitment and your covenant to your people. Lord, help us to hear this charge today and help us to leave with a desire to be obedient to everything you've commanded us to do. Protect us from being hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. Put people in our life to exhort us when we start to stray, to keep us on track. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.